If you know, you know Al, you probably know he's a drummer. Um, he's also a multi-instrumentalist. He plays other instruments. He's a schooled musician. He's respected around town in, the, in multiple musical communities. But you also might not know that he also is really... Um, he, uh, <laughs> I, have a, I have this whole list of stuff, really good stupid. stuff to say really about stupid. Al. <laughs> really stupid. No, sorry. <laughs> I, have this, I have this huge list. Um, you know, but also, I, I actually, just speaking from my heart, I've known Al, and he may not even know this, but he often has his finger on the pulse of what I think the Lord is doing in the country because he travels so much and he works with a lot of thinkers, a lot of um, you know, people who I think are influential in different communities. And like a lot of times I'll be reading a new book, I'll try and talk to him about, and apparently he's met the author like a couple months ago. That happens, that's happened more than once. You know, so Al is a, is a deep, deep well. He's got um, an amazing family. You just saw one of his daughters up here a minute ago. And so uh, we're just super blessed to have them a part of our uh, church. And I want to pray for him and unleash him. If you guys would, let's stand up and pray for Al real quick. Lord Jesus, bless my brother. Bless my brother and my friend here, Lord. He's a deep, deep well. I've learned so much from this man from over the years, Lord, and I'm just so thankful for everything uh, you've put in him. I ask you would unleash him and all the goodness um, inside his heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're, um, really quick, we're, um, We've been doing a series on Genesis to encourage uh, biblical literacy because we love the Bible and we want you to love it too. And so um, just really quickly, we started out with creation. My dad spoke on creation. I spoke on the flood. What was after the flood? Isaac. No, Abraham. Abraham. Yep. Was I gone for Abraham? Who spoke on Abraham? Andy Andy spoke on Abraham. Yep. And then Andy spoke on Isaac. And now Al's topic today is Jacob. 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 So I'm just going to kind of unleash him. I'm going to walk off the stage and uh, let him do his thing. So Thanks, man. bless you, brother. Bless you. Thank you. Morning, guys. How's it going? You, my name is actually Alfred, but you can call me Al. Is it too, are we past that? Is the expiration date on that song, is it over? It's not awesome. I still have it. Awesome. I, you guys need to know I am not a speaker. Like, I am totally out of my element right now. Um, but I am thankful to be part of the teaching team, or to at least be asked and then get fired later after this particular message, uh, whatever that means. Uh, Nada and I have gone back and forth for years, because I, I, I told Robin this on Friday. We've gone back and forth. I've been on various church staffs while living in Charlotte, um, for those people who might know me when I was growing up, they would absolutely only, they could only testify that it is by divine intervention that I am doing things for Jesus and actually talking to you about him and maybe even sound like I know what I'm talking about. It could only be an act of the Holy Spirit that I'm even standing here talking to you because I, I did not really grow up in a church world. My, my family, I grew up in a very moral and academic family. We were Lutheran and I was the kid in confirmation class Uh, in the Lutheran church that I didn't understand scripture. So I just made jokes about it. And that worked way better than me trying to sound like I knew what I was talking about. But since 2003, getting touched by the Holy Spirit in my car, um, listening to some music by a good friend of mine named Jason Upton, I got touched by the Holy Spirit and my life has not been the same since. I've been on this wild ride 
in this journey, and it continues now. Nada and I have, and I think it's important for me to say this, I'm off the script, but I want to say that whenever I felt like moving from Charlotte, it's because I've found a community like the one that we're in now. So we're really thankful to call Queen City home, and we're really thankful to call Charlotte home. I've been here 21 years, and I feel like I'm finally digging roots. So hopefully that's encouraging to you all. Um, I'm going to continue with the story of Genesis. Genesis is awesome. We started with creation, and I think the thing that blows my mind about creation is that it's the beginning of all things that we know of right now. Um, I think what the point that I, I was listening to the messages, and I want to make a point. If How many of you listen to the podcast? That's Okay, good. That's the way that I, I travel a lot, so that's the way that I stay in touch with our community. And I just want to encourage you. It's a really great resource. And it was really helpful for this because I've been out of town every week and I've been able to catch up with what God's doing here to, uh, with, with this particular series. So um, when Robin was talking about Genesis and I was listening to his message, I was reminded of the words of a, of a Jewish thinker named Abraham Joshua Heschel. Has anybody heard of him before? He was very influential on JFK and Martin Luther King. Heschel said this. He said, it's, it's not enough that God was all powerful It's not enough that God was all-knowing. We have a God that's all-personal. And that's the thing that we see from the very beginning of Genesis is that God wants to be with us. He wants to know us. And I think it's important to know that the context of Genesis, you have all these gods, lowercase g and plural, all these little gods that are distant. They're unconcerned. They're seemingly at odds with mankind. And if that's enough, they are constantly needing to be appeased and given sacrifices. But our forefathers and our foremothers were introduced to a different God, a God who is personal, a God who provides. And in our attempts to kind of figure things out, human beings are are curious creatures. We are. We try to figure things out. And what happens along the way is we lock into, wow, that got loud, sorry. We lock into systems and routines and thought patterns. And this God, who we're introduced to in Genesis, is a God who interrupts those systems and those thought processes and those ways and those routines all the time because he's not distant and he wants to know us. It's important to understand that those words, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are saying something very, very significant about this God. When the Hebrews writer, which Hebrews was chronologically the last book written in the New Testament, but it finds its place kind of in the the third quarter of it. Um, When the Hebrews writer says that Jesus was the precise expression, the precise representation of God the Father, this is the God we're talking about. The God that's not distant. The God that wants to be with us. And that was creation. That's what I found out about creation. Then John Mark spoke about Noah and the flood. And you guys have to understand, it's, it's a, you know, to come up after like three poets and sound like you have anything good to say is kind of intimidating. I mean, you've got Robin, John Mark, and Andy. These are poetic people. And I'm kind of like the, I don't know, I'm going to stick to my script anyway. Um, he didn't just talk about the flood. He talked about the fact that God, God maybe didn't, he had to start over. And then once he did, he said, I'm not going to do it again. And John Mark talked about that God is not, he, he has a disdain for violence. 
and not just physical violence, but violence of the heart. And what John Mark was tapping into is over the course of Christendom and the history of thinkers and forefathers, Martin Luther said that when we dehumanize another person, when we make them less than human, we are in sin. So when we have a a violence of the heart, we are beginning to walk in a way that's going to lead down a path that can only lead to forgiveness, hopefully. And then on top of that, I love this definition by a guy named Cornelius Plantinka. Try and say that out loud. He said that sin is the disruption of shalom. Anytime you're disrupting peace, you're in an act of sin. You're disrupting the way of God. So he kind of tapped his foot in that water. And then we continued on the story. Andy was uh, so helpful. I had to go out of town for work. I was supposed to talk about Abraham. And I'm really glad I didn't because Andy did a great job. Abraham, the father of a faith. I love what Andy said. Um, You basically said that if for Abraham, none of us would be here. (laughs) Never thought of it that way. I love that. The thing about that I recognize, and I'm setting this all up because it gives context for Jacob's story and why we need to hear Jacob's story. Abraham was the second calling of God to humanity. So Adam was the first calling. Abraham was the second calling because we had the flood and God started over. So Abraham was the second calling. Once again, God beckoning us, beckoning humanity to be proactive participants in the forming of an alternative community that would deliver the world closer in relationship to him. Abraham's story was about promise and provision. Andy continued, because Andy's awesome, with Isaac last week. And... The thing that I took away from that, because we don't have a lot of content. We don't have a lot of information on Isaac. And that could be intentional, because we have to remember that the Bible, most of these were stories that were passed along from generation to generation. And at some point, someone decided to write something down. So a lot of the intentionality, there's not a lot of information on Isaac. But what Andy said last week that I really, I took home was, faith is only necessary where faith is hard to have. And it really stuck with me. And Isaac was successful, and that's what we know of him. He was the promised son of Abraham. And we also kind of find that he's a little bit passive when we start to see his relationship with Rebecca. Or Rebecca was just a strong woman, which is definitely the case, and we'll get there. I'm going to pray and then move into the story of Jacob. Is that okay? Will you guys mind praying with me? I need it. I know. <laughs> Father, we come to you this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit in hopes of being surrounded by these, the cloud of witnesses, the communion of saints. We want to be surrounded by you, Holy Spirit, and by the spirit of those men and women who've gone before us, God. They've journeyed before us, and we want to learn as we are on this journey too. God, I, we want to learn from their victories and their defeats. We want to learn from their good decisions and their bad decisions. We want to learn from their failures and successes. And as a community this morning, Jesus, we, we want to be present to you and present to what you want to say. Increase our faith, Lord. Jesus, increase our faith. Open up the earth. Open up our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Shake our worldview, God, and transform us and shift us. Increase our confidence in what we hope for, which is heaven right here on earth. We need you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. I'm so Methodist, I almost said, and all God's people said. You remember that one? Yeah, okay. So, 
Jesus said that the first should be last and the last shall be first. Paul took his cues from Jesus when he said in, in a letter to the Corinthians that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. The story of Jacob, which starts at the end of Genesis 25, and if, you want, if you've got your Bible, you can open that up because we're going to be moving very quickly through, there, through this. It's like I told Andy this morning, the story of Jacob is like 11 chapters of crazy. It's just 11 pure chapters of like, what is going on? So I've got a lot of ground to cover, but what we do see is that once again, this God is breaking cultural cycles and cultural norms. It's very similar to Abraham. I'm not going to preach on Abraham. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go there. So if you think this morning, because I've got 11 chapters, I'm going to move. I've gone back and forth. I'm going to give you sort of a guided tour, show you all the rocks, if that makes sense, and then I'm going to turn up a couple of them and we'll see where we land. Is that okay? Awesome. Let's do it. So where Abraham's story was the story of the promise given from generation to generation, here with Jacob's story, it's all about the blessing. As a matter of fact, I would say that this family is completely, parentheses, overly obsessed with the blessing to the point of dysfunction. Like, it's about the blessing, but there's a tension all the time between this chosen person and just a troubled life. And when I was, when I was writing that down, I thought about this dude who, who used to live in my neighborhood, um, and he had the license plate on the front that said, too blessed to be stressed. His name was Stan. Stan. Stan was the man. Legit. And, uh, and, and the thing about it is, too blessed to be stressed does not, it's not... Although I'm not in a disagreement of that, I think it's, it becomes incongruent when we look at Jacob. He was blessed, and his life was troubled all the way through, from start to finish. It's incongruent. So it's really funny that when you think about like who's telling the story, it really is there's a narration, there's someone that's narrating this story, and you can't get away from it. Like the narrator even recognizes that, that the election or this being chosen thing is a blessing and a burden. Um, there was a definition that I heard from a real good friend of mine who talked about what it means to be blessed or to be the elect. And I want you to hear this because it'll really frame the elect in a very tangible, earthy way. To be chosen or elect out of the whole for the benefit of the whole, even if it means the destruction of your life and family, to be an example for the whole. So who wants to come front and get blessed? Okay, anyway. All right. I, I did notice that, um, and I'm going to hit, we're going to hit kind of a bullet point. Is anybody, are we too out of the face for cliff notes? I'm going to kind of do cliff notes on Jacob because there's a lot to cover. But I did notice that John Mark and Andy made ta- comments about just the scripture in general. And although my Bible's in my backpack, I do want you to know that my view of the scripture is that it's holy because it tells the whole story. I love it because it, you can't get past Moses being a murderer and a deliverer. You can't get past the fact that Jacob was a deceiver, but still blessed. You can't get past the fact that Matthew was sort of this scumbag accountant guy who was ripping people off and then becomes an apostle in the church. Or Alfred, who was a drummer, who was a jerk in high school, gets touched and now he's talking to Queen City Church. It's the whole story. 
I love that. It's not Instagram world where it's like, oh, everything's great. And I'm, I'm doing this today and I'm doing that today and I fall right into it. This is the real deal. This is about transformation, constantly about transformation. And that's why, like a gem, the more I turn this thing and the more filters I have, whether it's my age or the junk that I'm working through or the good stuff I'm working through, as I'm viewing that and I'm turning this gem of the Bible, it always has a fresh word. The Holy Spirit is always faithful in giving me something that is going to get me through the day. So that's where I see the Bible. And that's why I feel like it's important. Okay? Moving on. All right, let's hit Jacob. You ready? I'm going to start in Genesis 25. Sing along with me. All right. Jacob, if this is going to be bullet point style, I'm going to just lay out a bunch of rocks. Don't stop me, and I'll try not to digress. Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob is born gripping his older brother's heel, Esau, as he's coming out of the womb. I want to make a quick note. Isaac, their father, preferred Esau. Rebekah, the mother, preferred Jacob. So we have no issues. There's no issues. Everything's good. Jacob makes, so immediately the boys get older and Jacob makes a bargain with Esau over his birthright. Then Isaac is tricked into blessing Jacob instead of Esau, the older brother. Moving on. Jacob flees to Haran to work with Laban. Laban is Rebekah's brother. So this is Uncle Laban. I just called him Uncle Laban the whole time. I was like, hey, Uncle Laban. That's kind of got a good ring to it. On the way to be with Laban, Jacob has a dream. This is where Jacob makes his first kind of pillar. He kind of tabernacles this experience with God, calls it Bethel. Some theologians call this the first, sec- re- first reconciliation of Jacob. Um, Jacob arrives at Laban's house in Haran or Padanaram. Jacob meets Rachel. Now, Rachel is Laban's youngest daughter, and Laban has an older daughter named Leah. So we've got two daughters. Jacob falls in love with Rachel. Jacob wants to be with Rachel so bad that he makes an agreement with Laban to work for him for seven years in exchange for Rachel's hand. At the end of the seven years, uh, Jacob comes to Laban and says, okay, here we go. They have a big party. They have a big feast. I'm sure there was some drinks involved. And uh, lo and behold, as Jacob's preparing himself to consummate the marriage with Rachel, Laban sneaks in Leah. Jacob wakes up the morning, next morning, and it literally in the scriptures like, Leah! Exclamation point. Okay, so there was sort of that morning after like, what just happened? So, right. You get it, all right? So, of course, Jacob's like, man, what happened? I thought we had a deal. You know, and he's like, well, listen, you, you consummated the marriage, so you need, you need to finish the bridal week. So he has to finish the bridal week, and Jacob is so in love with Rachel that he finishes the week of bridal stuff with Leah, and then decides to cut a deal to work seven more years. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm, I'm going to keep moving. He decides to work seven more years after being tricked, and then after that seven-year period, he's able to marry Rachel and then stays another seven years. So we're looking at 21 years that he worked for Laban. At the end of those 21 years, oh, quick note. I just want to complicate things a little bit more because you need to know. It's like a soap opera. Anybody watch soap operas? I didn't, but you need to know all the characters because this thing just wheezes and flows. And Okay, so you have 
now you have, I'm not going to preach on this, but Jacob has two wives. Guys, don't get any ideas. Uh, he has Rachel and Leah. Now, Leah has a servant named Zilpah. Am I pronouncing that correct? I'm trying my best here. And then Rachel has a servant named Bilhah. Or Bilhah. So you've got the two wives and the two servants. And then there's like three quarters of a chapter where basically Jacob does it with all of them. And just, it's just like interaction central. I'm serious. I don't know how to, I can't make this stuff up and the kids are out of the room. So let's just have an adult conversation. (laughs) Jacob, it was permissible guys. It was permissible. And eventually there's 13 kids later, three quarters of a chapter. You read it. Every kid has a name based on what's going on at the time. So long stretch of drama, lovemaking, and four women and 13 children. So Jacob asks, eventually Jacob feels released by the Lord and he hears from the Lord that he needs to go back home, the home where his dad's at, where his mom's at. And Laban says, Laban, his uncle, says that he learned by divination. So we're introduced to the idea that Laban wasn't a believer of this God. Laban served or worshiped other lowercase gods. Um, So he learned by divination that Laban learned that because he learned that he was blessed because Jacob was working for him. So he felt this tension of, man, I'm blessed because I have Jacob with me, but I also know I need to honor him and let him go. So they kind of come to terms. Jacob lays out his terms. And from what I've read, and I had to read it in various, various translations because it's like a serious scam thing that Jacob lays down. He, he has this whole scamming thing where he works out to where he gives Laban the weaker flock. It's all about goats and sheep, okay? So he gives him weaker goats, and Jacob ends up taking the stronger ones. Eventually, Laban's sons figure this out and start to kind of make accusations. So Jacob takes off. He flees. Um, Laban pursues Jacob. Eventually, they resolve their conflict, And Jacob continues on his journey home to meet Esau. Now realize his, you know, he stole the blessing and we're going to get back to that. So this meeting with Esau is going to be intense. At least that's what Jacob thinks. So on that journey, Jacob, it says that we say wrestle with God. It's not really, I'll get into it a little bit, but Jacob says that he wrestled with God we're not, I mean, so we'll say Jacob wrestles with God. And, and from, that, from that interaction, he creates yet another tabernacle or he creates this, this mark and he calls it penial, which is the face of God. Theologians call this the second reconciliation to Jacob because he, he, he made a mark. You know, you had Bethel and you had penial. Um, Jacob's blessed again. And uh, he's blessed by, from the, res, from the wrestling match, he's blessed And then his name is changed to Israel. Jacob tries to send gifts to Esau because he's nervous about getting his butt kicked by his older brother. And then Jacob is told that Esau is returning with 400 men. Doesn't help Jacob any. Jacob's a little bit nervous, pretty much thinks he's going to die. And when he meets, when Jacob and Esau meet, much like we see in the prodigal son story, Esau runs and embraces his brother Jacob. And we find out that Esau has been very blessed um, still on the journey home, Jacob camped in the city of Shechem in Cana. While there, Jacob's daughter Dinah was raped by Hamor the Hivite. Not cool. Um, Jacob had kind of camped outside of this city on the journey home. He had made friends there. He was very smart in business. 
And so when this happened, he tried to politically work it out. But what happens is in retaliation, two of his sons, get this guys, Simeon and Levi decided to just go in the city with swords and slaughter all the males in the city. We were just talking about it. That's epic. Two guys with a sword go in and kill every male. I mean, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And so at that point, once again, God's favor rests and got on Jacob and Jacob is instructed by God to just get out. He said, return to Bethel. Jacob returns to Bethel. Rachel, Jacob's wife, dies giving birth to their final son, Benjamin. Isaac, Jacob's father, dies. And I think it's really cool that Jacob and Esau are there to bury him together. And then we kind of, in the scripture, we begin to enter into the story of Joseph, which is where we're going to be next week. So that is the highlights. Is that a lot? Okay, let's take in a breath. Release. All right. That was, I wish that was my message. I've got 47 pages left, guys. Let's hit a couple areas within this story. We'll backtrack. Jacob is born to Isaac and, very good, Rebecca. That's right. This is class participation time. Isaac was Abraham's promised son. Now, Rebecca had twins, Jacob's older brother, but only by a few seconds was Esau. Anybody twins in here? Anybody got it? Okay. Have you ever been around twins? Okay, so Esau comes out just a few seconds before Jacob. You ever been around twins? Those seconds are a big deal. It's the conversation that if you're in the middle of it, am I right? It's the conversation where you're in the middle of it and you're like, (laughs) you either want to laugh or fake a phone call, you know, just real quick, because it's awkward. It's a big deal. So again, Jacob comes out just a few minutes, a few minutes, a few seconds. And as he's coming out of the womb, he's gripping the heel of his brother. And that is what his name means. Means he grabs the heel or more figuratively, Jacob's name means he deceives. Jacob coming out of the womb, gripping the heel of his brother Esau is in essence, the entire story of Jacob gripping with everything you've got until you are blessed, even if it hurts a little. The narrator tells us that Jacob was in Dorsey. Anybody a Jim Gaffigan fan? Yeah, in Dorsey. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, watch him. He's hilarious. Jacob liked to stay among the tents. He liked to be home. He liked to cook. Esau was a hunter. He was, as we say down south, all boy. So again, we've got Isaac, the father, preferred Esau, the hunter. And we've got Rebecca, the mother. She preferred Jacob. And If it's not enough, it had to have been pretty obvious because the narrator who's writing the scripture makes it very, I mean, they're letting us know that there was a preference. So no tension there. Um, So if you look at Genesis Genesis 25, verse 27, Esau comes in from hunting and he's famished. And Jacob has been cooking stew and maybe even cooking up a plan. Esau asks for some stew and Jacob asks for Esau's birthright in exchange for a bowl of lentils. Yep. Esau, so we see here that the need that Esau had and the cleverness of Jacob are coming into conflict already. And this is actually part of, a, of, a, of, a, of an oracle that was spoken over Rebecca when the boys were in the room, in the womb. When they were kicking in the womb, she heard the Lord say, the elder shall serve the younger. 
And we, we see this immediately in this exchange, what I call the bargain, where Jacob gets the birthright for a bowl of lentils. Esau agrees to this deal and he defers his birthright to satisfy an immediate need. Anybody done that before? The scripture does not say if Jacob was hungry or not. I find that interesting. Either way, Jacob was willing to wait because he believed in futures to which Esau was indifferent. In this way, the narrator gives us a sneak peek of Israel, trusting and willing to wait. Israel believed in futures promised by God. This sets the stage for Jacob's taking of Esau's blessing. And that's in Genesis 27. In Genesis 27, we're told that Isaac is growing old and is aware of the reality that before he dies, he needs to bless Isaac, his oldest son. It's customary. It's tradition. It's important. It's really important for us to understand that rituals and customs were everything in this time. I'd even say they are now, but I'm not going to go there. Words that were spoken became flesh. They still do. Words meant something in this time. The blessing from Isaac that was to be received by Esau was understood as a world-transforming act which cannot be denied by modern rationality. It was a ritual act and a decisive event, and it was irrevocable. It was heavy. This was a big deal. So Isaac tells Esau to go hunt some wild game, then prepare a meal, and after that... Isaac, the father, would then bless his oldest son, Esau. However, Rebekah overhears this conversation between Isaac and Esau and informs Jacob. She proceeds to help Jacob, the younger son, devise an excellent, I mean, really good plan to deceive Isaac and take the blessing from Esau. That's exactly what happened. Jacob basically dresses himself up like his brother to receive the blessing from his father. And I'm not going to preach on it, but how many of us dress ourselves up like our brother to receive the blessing from our father? As artists, I see it all the time. Isaac, huh? I don't think I can. Yeah. It's a, let me just put it this way. If you feel like, if you're in here this morning and you feel like there's an expiration date on you as a creative person, that's a lie. It's a trick. It's to deceive you to believe that popularity is the win. Because popularity says you have an expiration date. But God's word over you is there's no expiration date on your creative expression. He's not done with you. Don't believe the hype, guys. Popularity is not the win for the is not the win for us. We are in this for the long haul. And if you have ever read the Apostles' Creed and you heard what I said when I prayed, I said the communion of the saints. We engage with a community that's here, but it's not here. We engage with a community that has been long past us and along. We sit in the present, but we believe in a God that is the Alpha and the Omega. We stand in the present, but we we are the hinge pin between what happened and what's going to happen. Okay. Back to the script. Okay, this is called The Dream, Genesis 28. I am really close, guys. Only 70 more pages to go. 
Did I tell you it's font 48? Because I am not going to put these on. I'm not putting them on because then you guys look like a blur. All right, anyway. Jacob flees. So Genesis 28, the dream. Jacob is fleeing to Haran and he's on his journey to Laban. And he's in a certain place, which I find interesting that the narrator didn't even know where he's at. He's kind of in no man's land. And Jacob actually stopped to camp there for the night. However, that night, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven and angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it on a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel. I think it's important to note that this encounter happened in a place where Jacob would not expect a religious experience. Once again, God interrupts and he interrupts wherever he wants, when he wants, and he will interrupt whatever cycle and turn the table on you so fast. We saw that in the way of Jesus and it's nice to know that he's in congruency with the God of the Old Testament. They are one, the Godhead. It's also important to note that this encounter took place in a time of vulnerability Jacob was asleep. God is in control and Jacob is essentially helpless to make anything more of this meeting than God intends. What is surprising about this is not that it is God that meets Jacob. It's the wonder, the mystery, and the shock that this God is present in such a decisive way to someone in exile. See, we have this language, but the gods, right? Lowercase g, plural, as I spoke earlier, they, they would never get close to somebody like this. This is an important distinction about this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God meets a man and dreams over him, and if that's not enough, proclaims such precious things over him, and he's in exile. This is powerful stuff. I don't want to preach on the dream but it's very important to distinct God's dreaming over him and he makes a lot of... God reorients the relationship between heaven and earth in this dream. And it's everything if we're following Jesus to understand that this reorientation is something that is very current right now. There is traffic between heaven and earth. Earth is not left to its own resources. These are radical things that people did not believe then. Then. <laughs> heaven is not a remote self-contained realm of the gods this is what they thought the heavens were for the gods and the lowly humans were down here in the scummy earth so God is through this dream is reorienting all of this and lastly heaven has to do with earth God reveals more of himself in this dream and if Abraham was phase one of this alternative community then I it's my opinion that this is this dream is phase two God is initiating phase two of what he wants to do through the people of Israel and for us as God's people. God promises his presence 
to Jacob. God promises action. God promises his protection. God promises his provision. God promises a homecoming. Yeah. These were not things that the gods promised to anybody. This God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is significantly different. And he is all personal. He was then and he is now. And don't think that I'm talking just about then, guys. We, we are slow to learn as humanity. We love our gods. We love to appease somebody. We, we, we have a real tough time believing in someone who promises and will provide and wants to be with us. We have a tough time so much that sometimes we put them on a cross and kill them. So God's promise comes in a dream. Jacob's response comes when he's awake. Jacob got saved. I'll say it. Jacob got saved. And he made a mark in the road. He, the, world, the world of this dream was more convincing to Jacob than the world of his fear and guilt. Is it for you today? Is it? His response to kind of tabernacle this experience with the stone and the oil, he named it Bethel, house of God. This is why many call it the first reconciliation. From there, Jacob arrives in Haran and spends 20 years, 21 years with Laban. I'm not going to go back. It involved Rachel and the girls. We're moving on. 13 kids later. Remember that? When Jacob, I got to keep moving because I want to get to the wrestling with God because I feel like there's a connection for us between the dream and, and, and Jacob wrestling with God. When Jacob is called to go home to his father Isaac, his departure with Laban is uneasy. You'll see that there's a conflict and it's mostly because Jacob is trying to scam him out of his, out of his herd, out of his flocks. Um, no pressure. So you've got the fleeing. So Jacob at this point in the story is fleeing from Laban on the run again. And he's also heading home to meet this brother who he stole the blessing from. Okay. No pressure. I'm sure he's not under pressure (laughs) at all. And in this moment, once again, we see it's in Genesis 32. Jacob is now alone. He's gotten all of his family and his flock, and he's alone again. And if you want to read with me, we're in Genesis 32, 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, two female servants, and his 11 sons. She leaves out the daughter, which is a bummer, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, He sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched. And as he wrestled with the man, sorry, let me read that again. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why why would you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This scripture, out of all the scriptures in the story of Jacob, is the most extensively interpreted text in the entire story of of Jacob. So I'm going to tread lightly and respectfully, and I'm going to be closing out the message too. Um, 
Some call this the second reconciliation. So first reconciliation was the dream where Jacob got saved, really. That's what I'm saying. And then the second reconciliation is this wrestling match. So Jacob wrestles with a man. And I find it interesting that the narrator does not really tell us that it's God. Um, We arrive at that conclusion based on Jacob's proclamation that he saw God face to face. But is it possible this story was left a little obscure and a little bit in the shadows for a reason? Maybe Jacob was wrestling with a demon or an angel. Maybe Jacob was wrestling with his demons. I mean, lying to his father Isaac, stealing the blessing from his brother Esau, scamming his father-in-law Laban. Was it another dream? Was it real? Maybe, maybe he was wrestling with Esau. I kind of like that there's some ambiguity to it because it leaves some space between the words for us to engage in the story, which is why we're doing this whole series anyway. The more that we place ourselves, actually that's one definition of eschatological, which most people use that as a big word for end times, but some people use that term is our, our ability to place ourselves in the story. It's important that we become Peter and read about Peter. It's important that we don't deceive ourselves and think that we're not like Jacob. It's important that we say that we're not like Peter who is constantly questioning the Lord. It's important for us to be eschatological and place ourselves in the story of humanity as we are, not who we'd like to be. The nice thing about this is it's, it's no little dreams about angels going back and forth. I like that it's a wrestling match. Um, God and Jacob kind of have this gloves off exchange, which results in the shift in their relationship and a shift in Jacob's responsibility. Jacob hip, his, Jacob's hip is wrenched and Jacob asks for a blessing. Jacob's name is changed. And with boldness, that brother demands to know this guy's name. You know, what's powerful about that is Jacob is fighting for intimacy here. He is not going to allow this to be a distant fight. He wants to know who he's fighting. He wants to, he's not gripping that heel. He's gripping the heel and he's not going to let go, even if it hurts him. From the beginning to the end, Jacob is Jacob. He doesn't want any distance. He's going to wrestle this man and he wants to know who it is. Obviously, the man doesn't want any distance either. The wrestling. You ever seen a high school wrestling match? It's a bit uncomfortable. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) This struggle, this test, it results in deeper intimacy. It results in humility. And yet it results in strength. It's everything of the kingdom. It's everything mixed up at the same time with an incredible result of closer relationship with this God. The cool thing about this is all of these are characteristics that we see in Israel. And that's what God changed his name to. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So, at Bethel, God dreams over Jacob and affirms his blessing of Jacob. At this place, Peniel, God wrestles with Jacob and affirms his blessing again, but at a cost. We have the dream and wrestling. We have the dream, we have the test. Jesus said that everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. 
and from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. How many of us know the dreams of God over our lives? And yet we're wrestling with him. And yet you're afraid of the next step. I am. I'm afraid to stand in front of you and talk. We're afraid of the limp. We're afraid of that. We're afraid of the, the name change. Why am, I so, why am I so uncomfortable with people calling me Alfred? That's my name. Why do I like Al? Because that keeps you at a distance. It keeps us that way. I like that. So do you. We don't like intimacy. Afraid that we are the person God wants to use to influence that person's life. Are you afraid that you are the person that's going to solve that problem at work or help that situation or help that dysfunctional family or your own dysfunctional family? That's fear. Jesus spoke a lot about that. One thing Jacob does not show very often is fear. And as much as I didn't like reading the Jacob story because I don't like people who lie and end up getting things their own way, I got to tell you, I'm inspired by his boldness. I'm inspired by his willingness to just head in to something and not let go of it, even if it hurts a little. How many of you are dealing with fear this morning? Anybody? It can be any situation. Great. Keep those hands raised. Robin, I just want to, I'm going to, I'm closing out, but I just, I want all of us to pray. If you just keep your hands raised and those of us around us, we're going to, we're just going to break this off of you this morning because we believe in healing and I believe in healing of our hearts, our minds, and not just our physical bodies. So Lord Jesus, we break off fear in Jesus' name. Fear has to go. It has no place in, in our friends. It has no place in our church. Anxiety must go in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask that as you're breaking off this fear, it has no place in these people's hearts or minds or psyches or their life. We ask that the peace that passes all understanding that can only come from the fact that Jesus, you are Lord over our community. Jesus, you are Lord over our city. Jesus, you are Lord over our lives. Holy Spirit, will you do a work right now and bring peace? Fear has no place where peace resides. Peace be with you is what Jesus said. And he's saying it to you now. You have no space here. Fear be gone in the name of Jesus. And Lord, increase our faith. God, you're so faithful. Will you increase our faith? And God, will you bind us as a community to not be a community that's isolated, but a community that's for one another, like the community we saw in Acts 2. They were so much for each other that it blew the minds of the community around them. They couldn't understand a community of believers that were so supportive of one another. Why aren't they competing? Why aren't they striving? It doesn't make any sense because the Lord is with us. Because we center ourselves on Jesus. We thank you for today. Thank you for the story of Jacob. Amen. I'm done.
That was good, huh? You know, from a New Testament standpoint, one voice can't build a church. The Bible speaks about their apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And that team has the capacity to build something of significance and note. And so uh, this is one of the reasons, without putting labels on all these different voices, and I'm not saying this is an exact five-fold representation, but the point is we really do need different perspectives. We need different gifts that speak into who we are and what we're doing. And so I thought that was really great. Thanks. Thanks, Al. As I was listening to Al, I was struck with a couple of things. One of them is it seems like God um, seems like God chose a highly dysfunctional family to use as a prototype for the people of God. How many of you notice that? A highly dysfunctional family, and you you, you have to see that. I mean, the stuff these guys did. Just crazy. And yet we talk about, you know, the Bible doesn't say God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what he means is he's not just God over a people group. He's the God over each person. And I love the fact that he doesn't say in this uh, context he's the God of Israel. Because to me, that's the God of the transformed person instead of the God of Jacob, the God, the guy fraught with issues, problems, and um, very difficult family life. So why would God choose a highly dysfunctional family to use as a prototype for the people of God? First of all, to encourage us. I mean, you may be from a pretty rough family, but I don't know if anybody in your family killed a whole city of people and still somehow by the mercy of God made the book and probably going to be in heaven. He does it to encourage us. He does it really to release hope to the world. He does it to reveal his nature. That's why God chooses this highly dysfunctional family. And he does it to demonstrate his power to redeem and transform. And see, that's all wrapped up into the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and how that needs to be built into the very fabric of who we are as people, who we are as families, who we are as a congregation, and who we are as a nation. You know, God doesn't just pick Billy Graham, Mother Teresa to go do remarkable things. He just picks people. And then people have to deal with it. It's pretty amazing. Um, but I like that. If, if God can love Jacob, he can love me. That's the simple, simple uh, conclusion. One other thing I thought about, the whole idea of if, if you haven't sort of studied the Bible, you may not understand that Jacob and Israel are the same person. How many of you realize Jacob and Israel are the same person? And the concept or the idea there is the transformation of a person's nature. That you go from a Jacob to being an Israel. You, you go from a schemer and a supplanter to one who is a prince who reigns, who rules, and who prevails. That's, that's the picture there. 
Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. If any man be in Christ Jesus, behold, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's that promise of not having to be your worst self. Now, one of the remarkable things is you can see in one sentence in the Bible where Jacob goes to Israel. He's called Jacob and Israel in the same sentence virtually. And it's when Joseph had been presumed dead for 22 years. That was Jacob's favorite child. It's when Jacob sent his children to Israel to get sustenance so that they could survive in a terrible season of drought. It's when he did not know that Joseph was still alive. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus. And Jacob in this um, untransformed state is a picture of the church. And so the idea there in one episode is that when Joseph sends word back that he's alive, and when he sends back wagons of the fullness of Egypt to sustain Jacob... It said, when Jacob believed the words of Joseph and saw the abundance of Egypt, Israel said, this is more than I could have ever imagined. And that's where real transformation comes. Real transformation comes when you believe and you see that every part of your dream that you thought was dead was not only dead, it's alive and in charge and wants to release to you the abundance of provision, you become a transformed person. And that's a picture of simply believing the gospel. Is that making sense? That's also the story of Jacob. So, Al, thanks a ton, man. That was great. John Mark's going to do Joseph next week. That's going to be exciting. Now, we train people to minister to you and help you and help your life transform. And they're not just trained. They're anointed and they're skilled. And we have a team ready to pray for you this morning. If you would like to come up and receive prayer... If you'll show up over here on this side of the auditorium, we'll be glad to minister to you. And why don't we stand together? Why don't you look at somebody and say this? They said you were Jacob. God said you're Israel. They said you were a schemer. God said you were a prince or a princess. Ha, ha, ha. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great week. Come up and get ministry. You'll never be the same.